Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp with you once again. Again, if you like our podcast, make sure you rate our podcast, review it, subscribe on wherever you may be listening. And we're joined this week by the head golf coach of the Penn State women's golf team, Denise St. Pierre. Coach, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. How's your summer been? Summer's been good. Thanks for having me here this morning, Brian. It's good to uh, just be out and doing things a little more like we're used to doing. Um, Got the nod to be back on the road recruiting and doing a little bit with some, just some day camps right now, but uh, just reaching out and uh, able to move, move around is a, is a good thing. It's interesting. You mentioned the camps because we were trying to pin a date down to do this podcast Seems like golf interest is really high right now. What have you seen when you're out doing the camps every day? Just in the last you know year and a half that we've been doing this, I've just watched the golf course just be extremely, extremely busy. Um, lots of activity around the golf course, and it's been really great to see. It's been really encouraging to see. Um, typically, you know, we're so used to drawing upon people outside of our community and bringing them in for our camps and having that overnight experience, and so. I was unsure whether or not we would really have, you know, the numbers or the the, the kids that would that would come out to to join us, and um, it's been great. I mean, we've we've seen the interest, we've seen the the game just booming right now, and I can't be happier to to watch it all. What are some of the reasons you're hearing, whether it's younger people or when you're out there at your office and you see older people maybe picking up the game for the first time? What are some of the things you're hearing? You know, I think people um, just really generally are enjoying being outside. You know, in some ways they were forced to, you know, yeah. uh, look for activities that were outside their home. And when that happened and they decided, you know, maybe I'll dust off the golf clubs or maybe I'll try this game for the first time. I think they found that, hey, it's kind of, uh, this is kind of fun. And I'm enjoying just being out here with my friends and, uh, the walk, the exercise. Um, so I think, you know, it's a number of things that we always knew about the game, but sometimes it's hard to get yourself to just to get started. So, um, and then in that, it becomes a, a real family activity as well. So we've, you know, we've seen them bring along the, the younger kids and uh, get them active and, and have the family have an experience together. If we have any first-timers listening to this podcast, what are your tips for someone just getting started in golf? <laughs> Get some lessons. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think it, it is helpful to have some professional advice, some professional guidance. So if you can get yourself even started in a, in a group setting, sometimes is a, uh, a nice way to, to get introduced to the game. And I know we have a number of programs out at our golf facility and, uh, around the town there they have a number of programs so there's there's a lot that you can tap into and um, certainly I think it's a, a, a good way to go now if I'm not mistaken you wrote a book right the fundamentals of golf I was on Amazon it's still available it's still <laughs> wow that was several years ago I was teaching um, the uh, health and physical education classes at Penn State. That's back when our coaches had a dual role. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
I was approached to, you know, include a book. And uh, so it kind of just evolved from there. I will say it's um, it's a lot more tedious and time consuming than I even thought. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty basic fundamental book and it should get you started. <laughs> Do you miss teaching at all? Because when I was a student, I was a student from 2007 to 2011 and I took Coach Rose's class and I, I know he was teaching it for a while. I think you may have been actually a guest speaker in the class. Do you miss teaching at all? <laughs> You know, I do. I think teaching is really my first love with, I mean, coaching, you know, mm -hmm. so I look at coaching and teaching as being hand in hand. Um, and so I still do some teaching on the side, you know, like, like I just mentioned, I do some camps, I do some adult golf schools. Um, I've given a few private lessons when I'm in town. So I, you know, I always get energy from that. I always seem to uh, walk away with hopefully as much as I've given them, I get back for sure. But um, I miss the, I miss the uh, the interaction or the classes I had with just the student body. You know, when we had those classes, certainly they were time consuming, but it was really a fun time to connect with someone other than your student athletes. It was it was great. I think it was great for our program because there were students that got to know me, and they and then they had interest in in my team. So. I think it worked great, and I I I, I love teaching. Was it just uh, basic golf classes? I know when I took Coach Rose's, his was an ethics class. W what were you teaching? Well, it was called Golf One or Golf Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I did teach at one time uh, for the you know health and physical education teachers. I taught a class on how to introduce golf to young people so mm -hmm. they could take it you know in in their careers, take it down the road. So that was fun as well, but. Yeah, I um, strictly techniques, skills, playing the game. Is that where your interest in, in coaching kind of started way back when, that you wanted to give back to others and you found it rewarding to see others have success? Absolutely. I mean, I got started in the golf business. I went to um, Florida and got involved with a resort down there, Innisbrook Resort, and got on the teaching staff, and things kind of took off from there. I really, um, I really found a a real passion for it. But we're going to celebrate 100 years of Penn State golf this year, and you've been a part of the program in some way for at least four decades here. So what is it about Penn State that's always been a nice home for you? You know, it's an interesting thing. It draws you in. It's a community that um, is so welcoming and it's hard to put into one word what, what it is, but it's, you know, it just feels uh, comfortable here. It's home. I you know, I love everything about it. I love my experience as a student athlete here at Penn State, which gives me reason to want to give back and provide those experiences or and even more for my own student athletes. So um, I feel very privileged and blessed to have done what I've done. And honestly, I can't believe it's been this long. This might be an impossible question to answer, and I don't think I've ever actually asked it to a coach before, but it just popped into my head. Can you compare at all your time as a student athlete to your time as a coach? What would you tell Denise St. Pierre when she was golfing in the early eight, 1980s at Penn State that maybe she knows now? Something along those lines. Oh, my gosh. There's so much I wish I had known. There's so much. I, I wish I, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily have regrets. I can't say that. I had a wonderful experience here in my uh, coach at the time was uh, Mary Kennedy, and uh, we 
you know, our team did extremely well and we had a great experience, but, you know, obviously I would hope that over time you're, there's so much that you learn that you wish, you know, we all can say that about many things in our life, but, you know, I would, as I do my own student athletes, I encourage them to take advantage of all the things that Penn State has to offer, not just, you know, getting to the golf course every day and getting to your classes every day, but see what else you have interest in and get involved or use the resources that we have here at Penn State. Sometimes it's it's easy to think that, oh, I don't need that or um, I can do this on my own. And I think we have so many different um, ex expertise people that have so much knowledge that, you know, certainly um, I encourage that as much as possible with my student athletes. It's probably changed a little bit since you played too. Absolutely. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, I, I laugh because every year that I have alumni that come back and they see the new team and they see what they have, you know, they're like, look at their gear, look at the band, look at the clubhouse they have, you know, things we didn't, experience when we were here and I'm like well of course we need to make sure that we're progressing and going forward so I hope that it's better every year but it's fun to just kind of you know um, they like to to whine about it and and talk about how good the team has it right now and I think back then we thought we had it great mm -hmm. right back then we thought you know, the two shirts they gave us for our uniform was the best thing ever. It was two shirts. It was better than no shirts, right? <laughs> so, How often do you stay in touch? Are they going to get back together for, for 100 years here? What's the latest? Well, we really like to have at least uh, every other year, if not every year, uh, our kickoff to our season is to bring our alumni back to meet the, the new players, to meet the team, and uh, for them to meet the alumni, the people that have built the traditions and uh, whose shoulders they're standing on. So we find that to be extremely important. So this year, um, we're happy to say that we're able to be back since we had to put a, a stop on things here the last year. But uh, August 20th, which is a Friday, we're going to have a two o'clock shotgun. And we we welcome all people that would like to come. It's an alumni, we call it alumni and friends. So we basically have, you know, people that have played in our program in years past, um, friends of, of the program, supporters of the program, family and friends of uh, the current players. So I told them, I told my, my current team yesterday, we had a call and I said, uh, encourage your family to come and they don't have to know how to play. You know, they don't have to know how to play at a certain level. I said, we're going to do a scramble. So, you know, anybody can play a scramble. Um, and then we're going to have a barbecue afterwards. So we're hoping that uh, we get some people back. We're hoping that we can make those connections again because, you know, that's that's what we're all about. And this tradition of, uh, you know, that we've had for so many years. I know that the men is, is 100 years, and I believe the women's program started in 1961. So it's still it's still fairly old. My goodness, just even, you know, take golf out of it, just drive. If you haven't been back to State College in the last five years, if you drove up College Avenue or down Beaver, you, would, you wouldn't recognize the place. No. I mean, I, I still have, you know, people come back even after having graduated not that long ago, and they, they feel the same way, you know, because we, as we know that live here, there's things happening um, month to month. And, you know, I know that there's some – reservations about it for people and certainly those people that have been here you know as I have called it home for this long 
Um, but I do think that sometimes if we stifle progress, then, you know, it's, it's like it's possible things can go the other way. And certainly we don't want that to happen. You know, I think the, the town is thriving and that's a good thing for all of us. I mean, look at the tavern, you know, has yeah. the tavern changed? Never. And now, now it has a second floor. I mean, that's amazing. I can only imagine the demand to sit on the little patio they're building there for the homecoming parade. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm already, I got to like my call into Pat (laughs) kind of make my reservation. But it is that history. When you talk about even a hundred years of Penn State golf, you do a soft spot in your heart for the history of something and the tradition. I think that's a big part of what's made Penn State golf successful, that there's a tradition of excellence, but also a tradition of knowing that you have an opportunity to compete against some of the very best as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I say this all the time. I mean, we have one of the best conferences in the country and, and that's in, in every sport and golf is not any exception. I mean, it's, it's solid top to bottom. You know, we can go to any one of those schools and we can play on great golf courses. Um, Something that I've always said about, um, you know, the experience here as a Penn State player on the golf teams is, you know, there's not many schools in the country that you can say, well, across the street is the golf course. You can walk from your dorm to the golf course. Um, So that's a that's a privilege. That's a that's a special thing. And. You know, regardless of maybe the fact that it's, you know, less challenging than some of the other courses we play, the fact of the convenience of it and the setting, and, you know, the safety that we have is, is mm-hmm. you know, bar none. And 36 holes, too. That That's nice because it doesn't get stale. That's right. Absolutely. And now this year, being the 100th year of Penn State golf, for your tournament, you're actually going to go back to the history of the golf course and play the white course. Yes, that will be very unique. The Nittany Line Invitational has always been played on the on the blue course. And, you know, for a lot of reasons. And we, we went back and forth about this because logistically the white course, as most most people that know that have played it, you know, the, the ninth hole doesn't go back to the clubhouse. So there's some you know, some challenges there. We're going to have to make sure we have facilities for people. And, um, you know, it's, it, you know, but I just, I love so much of the old white course. I love the green complexes over there. There's, you know, I love how it winds through and goes, you know, like you have views of the campus um, on several of the holes. And I love that tradition. I love how you go right by the Nittany Lion in and, um so lots of great memories for me there, and I'm excited that we have this opportunity to host our invitational there. I think, you know, I said to my assistant, Andy, I said, we're going to have some challenges because the white course tends to, because of where it sits, it tends to have um, a lot of different parties on it that aren't playing golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we sometimes refer to it lovingly as the white park instead of the white course. Because it it's not unusual for us to see someone, you know, strolling their baby carriage across the fairway or, you know, jogging across the fairway or walking their dogs or, you know, all these things that you don't typically see on a golf course. And not that they're really allowed. It's just difficult because you've got houses and, uh, you know, graduate housing yep. and then the campus sits right there. So Andy said, I'm going to be putting up a lot of signs. <laughs> 
You know, I don't get the appeal of walking, especially when you look at it's a public course. Uh, you have all a variety of levels of play out there, and everyone's trying to just get out and enjoy themselves. I don't know that I'd want to walk across a golf course. That's not the place where, where I'd want to be. And sometimes you see people even with headphones on, and you're you're on the tenth tee, and here they come. It's like, hey, you know, I I, I got a shot to hit here. <laughs> I think this would be a good question. What's your favorite hole to play on the white course since you're going back to it? Oh, my favorite hole is hole 13. It's a par five and the tee box sits right on the corner of Atherton and Park. And you got to love that. And uh, just the the beautiful homes that sit on the right mm-hmm. side of that uh, fairway. And if you look down the fairway, you can see the, you know, the views are you know, with the with the mountains are just, it's just beautiful. And I, I always said, I mean, interestingly, and, I, and this is full disclosure, when I was a freshman on the team, I said to my teammate, someday I'm going to come back here. I'm going to live in one of those homes and I'm going to raise Nittany Lions. <laughs> Some of that somewhat came true, right? <laughs> so when did you know that you wanted to return to Penn State and be a coach? You know, I, I will be honest, coaching wasn't really always in in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. I really came to Penn State to study architecture. And, you know, not to get into all of that, but it, you know, one thing led to another. And I got involved in just, as I said, I left and went to a a resort and got involved in the teaching aspect. And um, my coach, Mary Kennedy, called me and said, I need some help. I'm doing both programs now. I'm going to need an assistant would you, you know, would you think about, you know, coming up to coach? And I said, well, I'll do it for a year. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for a year. And it gives, gives me an opportunity to be closer to my family. I'm, you know, born and raised in upstate New York. So that was enticing to me. And certainly the opportunity to be back in state college, you know, at the age of 25. Yeah, I was, I was all about that. So obviously uh, one year led to several and, uh, I don't regret one minute of it. I know exactly where you're coming from there. One year leads to two. Oh, the next year is going to be maybe the last one. I'm going to move on. And then you just get sucked in because it's such a great place to live and a great place to work and a great place to be. Now, with an architectural background or at least an interest in it in some ways, did you ever think about designing courses or anything like that? It, it crossed my mind. I guess I got a little bit uh, thinking, you know, well, I can't possibly go back to school now and then you know, like I said, years go by. Right. Um, but you know, the, the creativity is still there, still lies within me. I still, you know, I, I think that I've used that in my coaching. I think, uh, it's served me well with how I create things for my players, how I create practices, how I, you know, have to be innovative and creative in my indoor practices. So I, I think it's, it's worked hand in hand for me as a coach as well. What's been the most rewarding part of coaching throughout the years? Do you have any specific memories that stand out or is it just the overall seeing might not even be on the golf course, but seeing someone that you've coached go on and have a a happy, successful life? You know, certainly one of the things that I love is hearing from my players after they leave, after they graduate and hearing all the great things they're doing. You know, so many of them are involved in golf in some way um many of them are involved in other in other ways and many of them have gone on to raise uh families so you know i love getting the christmas cards and the pictures of the kids um but i have to say just as a coach uh in in the present um 
I ha- I can I can think about players that I watched struggle early on in their career and watch them work really hard and become just wonderful collegiate players and and have some success and you know nothing makes you prouder than to see somebody that you know turns it around or is able to just dig deep and and get it done and that's that's a great moment that's a great moment we started this you mentioned that you're out recruiting again now and look no one's been through anything quite like the last 12 16 months whatever it's been now how did that challenge impact your career and what did you take out of navigating through a pandemic-filled season and one season being cut short and then last year being so significantly altered? Yeah, Brian, I think there is – I, I hope that, you know, I've learned something from it. I know that I have, but I think that the lessons are still coming mm-hmm. uh, as we begin to move into a little bit more of what we know to be – I use that word normal yeah. loosely um, – you know, just the connections that we were, that we made through having to um, do things remotely. No one like, you know, everyone can say, well, I'm kind of tired of doing things on the computer. I'm tired of Zoom. I'm tired of these meetings. However, I will say it's not something that we did before. Um, You know, usually maybe in the summer I would do a, you know, I'd just call them on the phone and you know, this generation doesn't really like to talk on the phone. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they want you to Snapchat them or something, you know. So um, just being able to to do that, to call them, you know, to have them all on the screen in the summer. We're all seeing each other and we're all connecting. And, you know, I always say it's the little things that add up to the big things, the little things that you do day in and day out. And so maybe those little meetings we had on Zoom week in and week out, didn't feel like much at the time. However, I think it connected us in different ways. I think it connect, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking to one of my players, she's on the screen and she's in her bedroom. I mean, I don't know what my players' bedrooms at home look like, you know, and these things that you're like, Oh, well, I didn't know you liked that color or this, you know, <laughs> I didn't know you had that teddy bear behind you. No. So just, I, I mean, I can't really put my finger at all. Wow. It's this big, it opened up the, the world to us, but I think it, it gave us an appreciation for everything we had an appreciation for, you know, certainly what we could not do anymore an appreciation for what we were able to do when we, and, you know, I, I, I was astounded this, this past year, even traveling with my team and having half a season with them how different that was too. just the going into hotels and, and how, you know, cautious we had to be and not going into restaurants anymore and ordering, you know, ordering, they all ordered on their phones. I'm like, well, this is kind of nice. Actually. I used to have to figure out what's going to be a restaurant. Everyone's going to like, you don't always please everybody. Now all of a sudden everybody's like, yep, well, I'm getting this coach. I'm getting that. And this is coming to the restaurant and they just have it Ubered over. So, you know, so much of how we used to do things has changed. And I think in some ways it's more efficient. Mm-hmm. In some ways we're, we're connecting in a better way um, to our day-to-day. You mentioned so, the recruiting aspect. Let me follow up with that. How has it impacted yeah. recruiting now? Because I'm sure that obviously it changed last year where you couldn't go out and see prospects or meet them face-to-face, yeah. but I'm sure that's going to carry over now for a little bit where you have an opportunity to use that technology that everyone's familiar with for recruiting. 
Yeah, I mean, just the fact that, you know, we were able to, you know, have a more personal conversation with a recruit because we would just send, you know, we we could do a Zoom link or something. Um, We could virtually show them around, you know, and things that we didn't, you know, always do. And I think when you're connecting with a recruit that happens to be far away, it's very, uh, very advantageous to have other ways to communicate with them and not not just try to make a guessing game out of it because you don't have the means to to go visit or they don't have the means to come visit you. So I think, you know, certainly nothing beats getting your eyes on a recruit and watching them in action. You know, that's that's bread and butter. I mean you gotta you gotta see them perform. Um and so it's good to be out there again for that. Uh, so, but I, I, you know, I feel for the young people that are in that 23 and, you know, 22, 23 classes, because I think some of them may get missed because of, you know, because of the, uh, the stop. And there's nothing quite like seeing body language and stuff on a, on a golf course, as opposed to just seeing a score or how someone handles a, a tough situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a good way to wrap it up, too, maybe just talking a little bit more about recruiting. A lot of people listening probably follow football and basketball, and they see the five stars, four stars, and everyone's ranked, and they know, all right, Coach Franklin's recruiting Pennsylvania hard this year. They're going to go down and steal a prospect from Georgia and Florida. What is golf recruiting like for a lot of our audience that that maybe doesn't follow? I'm going to guess probably doesn't follow it as closely. <laughs> you know, um, it. It's tough. I always have said, you know, I like to get the best talent in the state. I like, you know, if there's some really good talent in our, in our home state. I want to, I certainly want to recruit those, those players. And, uh, and we typically do. I mean, we have, you know, a handful of players on our team that are from Pennsylvania. Uh, however, you know, we're, we're kind of, ha- we're dictated toward having to, re- to have a farther outreach in order to, uh, to have a competitive team. You know, so much of, uh, you know, sports in general are doing this, but in the world of golf, it's been going on for a while now, and that's the international piece. You know, the, the, the golf world is wide open. It isn't just among the borders of the United States. So, um, and there's so many really, really great players that, um, you know, are from all over, and they want to come here to play golf. They want to come here to get their education. You know, we have two uh, two international players on our team now, and, um, and they're great players. And I, I think it's nice for the, the players on the team, too. I think it's a great um, experience for them to have some really unique diversity that's meeting people from around the world. So, you know, I think it's difficult because um, it's difficult always to, you know, we don't jump in planes and fly across the country all the time. That can get really expensive. But we have taken some trips overseas um but it's limited so but really the the world of golf is you can have players that grew up in michigan but they moved to florida so that they could have an experience year-round so they're going to school down there in their high school years and just just developing their games a lot of different things that happen in this you know in the young players these days that that never did before Denise, we're running out of time. Um, I actually would love to do this again. I think there's a lot we could still talk about. We could talk about whether it's Brooks or Bryson, uh, the Women's Open this year being pulled off NBC before it was over. I think there's so many different things we could talk about with golf. 
Uh, would love to do this again and follow up maybe on some of those topics, but it was great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate your time. Denise St. Pierre, the women's golf head coach here at Penn State. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.